Hello everyone and welcome to True Talk, a true crime podcast. I'm your host Riley and this is my very first podcast. We are podcasting from Melbourne, Australia in the art room slash the podcast room now. Sorry, that took me a long time to actually think of that word. Like I said, I'm your host Riley and uh, this is my very first podcast. I'm excited that y'all are you're going to be here for it. And uh, if you're a true crime junkie like myself, you'll understand how important this is. It's a big day, big day. I've been wanting to do it for a while, but today's the day that I will finally, finally release my first podcast. I wasn't for the likes of true, uh, morbid a true crime podcast. I probably would not have done my own. So I want to thank those lovely hosts at Morbid a true crime podcast for doing their thing and encouraging me to now do my own they didn't actually personally encourage me but if it wasn't for them doing their own podcast i probably wouldn't have done mine so being that i'm from melbourne australia i wanted to do a podcast my first podcast on an australian duo of serial killers uh, they're David and Catherine Burney. Now, if there are trigger warnings, because I know this case is pretty pretty disturbing, I will say trigger warning and you can skip past it and just continue to the rest of the podcast. But if you want to listen through it, that is A-OK too. I just thought I should let everyone know that's how we were going to do this. So, here we go. Let's get the ball roll, ball rolling, strap in, and we'll do the case. So, sorry, I've got to fix my microphone. Well, there we go. Sweet. That should be better now. All right, so David John Burney was born 16th of February, 1951. Spoiler alert, he died 7th of October, 2005. And Catherine... Margaret Burney, born in 1951. She is still alive by the looks of it. So they were an Australian couple who were serial killers. They murdered four women, ranging in age from 15 to 35, in their homes, in their home in 19 in the 1980s, and, and attempted to murder a fifth, as well. These crimes were referred to as the Morehouse murders after the Burneys' address at. Three Morehouse Street in Woolagy, a working class suburb of Perth, Australia. So David Burney was the eldest of five children in his and in his formative years he lived in the semi rural suburb of Watergrove, east of Perth. School friends and parishes from the Watergrove Baptist Church of the period remember the family as a particularly dysfunctional as particularly dysfunctional. Rumours abound, abounded about the family's promiscuity, alcoholism, and that they engaged in incest, which not a great way to start off so far. In the early 1960s, his parents decided to move the family to another Perth suburb where he had met Catherine through mutual friends. At 15, David left school to, to become an apprentice jockey for Eric Parnham, at a nearby Ascot racecourse. During his time there, he often, okay, trigger warning, this is about animal, animals. 
During his time there, he often physically harmed the horses and developed tendency and the tendency tendencies of an exhibitionist. On one particular night, David broke into the elder lady's house naked with stockings over his head and committed his first rape. That's it's pretty horrific at the start. Like I said, this is a pretty disturbing case, so I will let you know when there are trigger warnings for it. In the late nineteen, I missed a bit. I'm so sorry. By the time he was an adolescent, he had been convicted of several crimes and had spent time in and out of jail for misdemeanors and felonies. As an adult, he was known. He was a known sex and porn pornography addict and paraphilatic. He was married to his first wife, his first wife during his early twenties, and had a baby daughter. In the, light, in, the, in the late 1986, David Burney was employed at a local car wreckers. For more than a year, David and Catherine had practiced how to make the sexual fantasies of rape and murder to come true. He, has, he was weeks away from committing his first horrific crime. Catherine Burney was also born in 1951. She was two years old when her mother, Doreen, died giving birth to her brother, who died two days later. Unable to cope, unable to cope with her, her father, Harold, had sent her away to live her with, with her maternal grandparents at the age of 10. There was a custody dispute when, where Catherine's father gained sole custody of Catherine again. At the age of 12, when she met David Burney, by the age, at the age of 12, she had met David Burney, and by the age of 14, she was in a relationship with David. Harold had begged Catherine on several occasions to leave David due to the fact that she was getting in trouble with the local police all the time. But the disapproval of their relationship only strengthened their union. Her time in prison throughout her adolescent years offered Catherine the chance to break away from David Burney. Encouraged by a parole officer, Catherine began working for the McLaughlin fa- f- uh, family as a housekeeper. She, David, she married Donald McLaughlin, McLaughlin on her 21st birthday. She and McLaughlin has, had seven children. Their firstborn son was struck and killed by, by a car in infancy. Four weeks after the birth of her seventh child, she abandoned McLaughlin and began collabor- co- cohabiting with Bernie who had tracked her down in hospital after she had a hysterectomy. She had, she had her surname legally changed by deed poll to match his and reportedly was emotionally dependent on him. Okay, so far, neither of these people have had the greatest start to life. They've both had some tragedies and it hasn't been great for him. But that in no way allows them to do what they do because they have caused more heartbreak and grief onto fellow sorry onto fellow humans and it's not a fun time to deal with grief i'm sure at one stage or another we've all dealt with grief and to know that it was by people like this doesn't help grief grief stricken families at all but anyway back into it i'll let you know when there is another trigger warning and we shall Go on, go on from there. So, on October 6, 1986, 22-year-old student Mary Nielsen 
turned up at the Bernie house to buy some car tyres. She had approached Bernie at his work at the spare parts yard. I also feel attacked because I work in spare parts. Not all spare parts people are like this, I promise. I'm a good guy. Sorry, just had to have, add that in there. So he was working in a spare parts yard and had suggested that she call by his house for a better bargain. As Nielsen entered the Bernie house, she was seized at knife point, bound and gagged and chained to the bed. Alright, I'm just going to quickly read through my notes to see if I need to put out a trigger warning. Because this trigger warnings may need to be done in this part, but I just want to quickly check through my notes before I say it. I'm just going to put one out there anyway, because like I said, the, this case is pretty disturbing. So I'm going to put a trigger warning out for it. So, like I said, Nielsen entered the house. She was seized at knife point, bound and gagged and chained to the bed. Catherine Burney watched as her lover repeatedly raped this girl. She asked him questions about what turned him on the most, the way she would know that Mary Nielsen would eventually have to die. They took her to the Glen Eagles National Park where David Bernie raped her again and again before strangling her with nylon cord and stabbing her through her heart. She was then buried in a shallow grave. Look. That, yeah, that breaks my heart because it's the fact that these people can think that they can get away with it and that they're just going to continue to get away with it, that it's horrific what these two put people through. Like, it's genuinely genuinely horrific but um i'm also going to put a trigger warning on this one um for the next couple of ones actually this one is a 15 year old child so just letting you know if you want to skip a few minutes ahead please feel free to um but yes we'll get on to the next next one the second murder 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 on october 20th when they abducted 15-year-old Susanna Candy as she walked along the Sterling Highway in Claremont. Within seconds of being in the car, she had a knife at her throat and her hands were bound. She was taken back to the Bernie house where she was forced to send letters to her family saying she had run away to Queensland with her friends and before being gagged, changed to the bed and raped. After David Bernie had finished raping her, Catherine Bernie got into the bed with them and David Bernie tried to strangle the girl, girl with nylon cord, but she became hysterical and went berserk. The Bernies forced sleeping pill down her throat to calm her down, and once Susanna was asleep, David put a nylon cord around her neck and Catherine tightened the cord slowly until she stopped breathing. They buried Susanna Candy in another, another shallow grave in the state forest. On November 21st, they saw a 31-year-old they saw 31-year-old Norleen Patterson standing beside her car on the Canning Highway. She had run out of petrol while on her way home from her job as her manager, as bar manager at the Netherlands Golf Club. Once inside the car, she had a knife held to her throat, was tied up and told not to move. She was taken back to Morehouse Street. They were taken back, sorry, she was taken back to Morehouse Street, yeah where David Bernie, Bernie repeatedly raped her. She was gagged and chained to the bed. They had originally decided to murder Nolene Patterson and that, that same night, but David Bernie kept her prisoner in the house for three days 
and there were signs that he'd developed emotional feelings for Nolene Patterson. Quick to notice, a jealous Catherine made an, made an ultimatum. David would have to kill Nolene or she would kill her or she would kill herself. He immediately forced an overdose of sleeping pills down her throat and strangled her while she slept. They took her body to the forest and buried, her, buried it along with the others. Catherine, Catherine, sorry, Catherine Bernie reportedly got great pleasure in throwing sand in Patterson's face. On November 5th, they abducted 21-year-old Denise Brown as she was waiting for a bus on Sterling Highway. She accepted a list from the Bernies, accepted a lift from the Bernies at Knife Point. Denise was taken to the house in Willoughby, chained to the bed and raped. The following afternoon, she was taken to the Wanneroo Pine Plantation. Safe, safely in the seclusion of the forest, David and Bernie, oh sorry, David Bernie raped Denise Brown in the car while the couple waited for darkness. As they dragged the woman from the car, David Bernie assaulted her again and tried trigger warning again for this one and plunged a knife into Denise's neck while he was raping her. Convinced that the girl was dead, they dug a shallow grave and lay her body in it. But Brown sat up in the grave. David Bernie then grabbed an axe and struck her face twice at full force on the skull before burying her body in the grave. Their final victim and the only victim to survive their attacks, was 17-year-old Kate Moore. She ran semi-naked and ran into a vacuum cleaner store on the 10th of November 1986 and insisted on seeing the police. When the police arrived, she alleged that she'd been abducted at knife point by a couple who had taken her back to their house and chained her up to a bed, and that the man had reported, uh, repeatedly raped her while the woman observed. The next morning, while the man was at work, the woman unchanged her and forced her to telephone her parents to say she'd spent the night at a friend's house and was okay. The woman then led her back to the bedroom but left to answer the door before securing her. The girl then escaped out the window. She told the police that the phone the phone, phone number and the address of the couple who had, who had abducted her. When the girl and the police arrived at the Bernie's residence, Catherine Bernie admitted that she recognised the girl but refused to answer any more questions without her husband. When the police brought David Bernie home in handcuffs, the couple claimed that the girl had not been abducted but willingly came to the house to share a bong with the Bernie's and that all sexual activities had been consensual. Which, by the way, like I said, this case is very disturbing. And I'm sorry that this is such a heavy case on my first podcast, but I kind of wanted to get this one out of the way because I didn't want to do it further on. But these people are genuinely insane. Like, it's crazy what these are, these this couple are doing to these girls. And it's very heavy and it's very, like, very not okay. And I'm very glad that that last victim ended up getting out. But we shall continue to the rest of the case and see what happens here. So, like I said, the police had come to the residence, the Bernie's residence, and they had claimed that this girl, this young girl, had come to their house to share a bong with the Bernie's. And for those of you who, yeah, shared a bong with the Bernie's and that all sexual activities had been consensual. The Bernie's were detained by police who tried 
to trick them into confessing to the crimes by intense er interrogation. Around dusk, Detective Sergeant Vince Catch said in a joking manner to David Burney, It's getting dark. It's getting dark. Best we take the shovel and dig them up. Burney replied, Okay, there are four of them. The Burney... By the way, great manoeuvre by the cop just then. The Burneys were repeatedly very excited, even proud to show the police the locations of their graves of their four victims, which is cooked. That is insane. I have no words. I literally have no words. When sent to trial, David Burney pleaded guilty to four counts of murder, which he deserves, and one count of abduction and rape. When asked why he pleaded guilty, he gestured towards the victim's family and said, it's the least I could do. That's horrible. That's actually, he's not okay in the head. He, yep, great. He was sentenced to four consecutive sentences of life imprisonment after being found sane enough to stand trial. Catherine Burney was also sentenced to four consecutive life sentences of life imprisonment by Supreme Court of Western Australia. Initial, initial, initially, sorry, David Burney was held at the maximum security Fremantle prison but was soon moved to solitary confinement to keep him from coming to harm from other prisoners which he deserved, but that's my opinion. The original death row cells were, convert, were converted for him, and he stayed there until the prison was closed in 1990. The cell now can be viewed at the Great Escape Tour held daily at Fremantle Prison. That was not... I'm not advertising for them. I'm just letting you know. While incarcerated, the Burnies exchanged more than 2,600 letters, but were not allowed to keep... were not allowed any other form of contact. David Burney was found dead in his cell at... Uh, Casarina Prison on 7th of October 2005. He had committed suicide by hanging. He was due to appear in court for the rape of a fellow prisoner for the next day. And Catherine Burney is imprisoned in Bandiup Women's Prison where she's the head librarian. Her first application for parole was in 2007 which was rejected, and then the Attorney General of Western Australia, Jim McGinty, said that her release was highly unlikely while he remained in office. Her case was to be reviewed again in 2007. However, on March 14, 2009, new Western Australian, Western Australian Attorney General Christian Porter revoked Catherine Burney's non-parole period, making her the second woman to have papers marked never to be released. Now, I am sorry that that was such an intense episode for the first podcast, but that was the case of Catherine and... Why did I just have mental blank? Catherine and David Burney, the Australian serial killers. Now, it blows my mind that these people thought that they could have get it, could have gotten away with it and how excited David got when, you know, he said to the cop, Oh, yeah, I'll show you where they are. Like, it just, it, I just don't understand their brain. I don't understand why they do what they do. And I guess, you know, we probably never will understand why they do what they do. But thank you so much for listening. And I'm sorry for the misprint, uh, the terrible umming and ahhing and stuttering and mis, you know, mispronouncing words and all that kind of stuff. I promise I will get better. 
as time goes on. And um, I'm very excited to see what the next episode for the podcast holds because I'm going to make sure that we do cover the likes of Ten Ten Bundy, the Axeman in New Orleans, the Night Stalker, Jack the Ripper, all that kind of stuff. And if you guys have any suggestions on what we should do, who we should do, let me know and I'll make sure I do do it. And also, um, genuinely send it to my email. Um, actually, I don't have an email yet set up for this, but I will, um, and I'll add it on. But make sure you hit us up, and we will be releasing one very soon as well. And by that stage, I should have an email and an Instagram and all that kind of stuff. So when we have that all up, we will make sure that we let you know and go from there. But anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking around for my awkwardness and my everything, the stuttering, the wrong pronunciation of words. Next next episode will be better. That much is a promise. And anyway, thank you again. You all are amazing. This is Riley. And this is True Talk, a true true crime podcast. Have a great day, y'all.